I hope you do. Turn to John chapter 17. We're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 17 today. And so as we prepare for this week, what we wanted to do today was we wanted to look at what, what we're going to be doing as a church this week. This is Holy Week. And so this week we're going to be doing some things. We're going to be kicking off our week. Dave's going to be leaving on Friday, on Good Friday. And we're going to begin to see what he has to say for us as our Lord and Savior was crucified. And what's that mean for us on Good Friday? And then we're also going to look to, Jeff's going to come up here on Sunday. And we're going to see what Easter or Resurrection Day is going to hold for us. And we're going to see what, what Jeff's lead us in that, in that regard. And we're going to begin to see what's, what's the crucifixion mean and what's a risen Savior mean on, on Sunday. And so as we turn to this week, today what we want to do is look at John chapter 17. And we want to prepare for our Good Friday and our Good Sunday. And what we, want to, we want to look at this and we want to sort of see this Resurrection Sunday. And what we want to do today is look at how was Jesus preparing for this day. What was he preparing for his Good Friday and his Resurrection Sunday? What he was doing when he was praying. And so we're going to look at this prayer. John chapter 17 is the, the high priestly prayer. And I think it's the greatest prayer known to mankind. And so you're going to ask, well, why would it be the, the greatest prayer to mankind? And I think there's just a couple things that we'll note here. First, John chapter 17 is the, is the longest recorded prayer in any of the Gospels. And so what we learn from that is Jesus wasn't just haphazardly saying things and putting things together. He had his heart put together and his mind put together, and he was praying his heart to the Lord. He was preparing for this day. And secondly, we see also that it was... Jesus prayed this prayer to the Father in heaven, and it's recorded for us. And this prayer that he records, he says out loud to the disciples to hear this prayer. And it's recorded for us. It's a gift to us. And many times in the Bible, we hear that it says that Jesus prayed. But right now, we're going to get to know what Jesus prayed, because this is his prayer. And, and last year, Jeff led us through Matthew 6, which we many times refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And that is the Lord's Prayer, and it's fine to call it that way. And that's what Jesus taught the disciples to pray. And we pray that way, too, as a model prayer. But Jesus wouldn't pray this prayer, this Matthew 6. And the reason why is because one of the verses is, forgive us of our trespasses. And Jesus wouldn't pray that. He couldn't pray that. That's what we would pray as sinners or people that are finite. But what we're going to see here is Jesus prays this great prayer for us and we're going to begin to see the content of this prayer as he pours out his soul to his father. And we're going to get a behind-the-scenes look, almost go behind the curtains and see what the son prays to the father and what he asks of him. And finally, we, we think this is the greatest prayer is because Jesus prays this prayer just hours before he's going to be arrested. Soon he's going to be arrested, then he's going to be crucified. And here's the, the, the kicker in that. This didn't catch Jesus off guard. He was expecting this day to come. And he prays, he prays this prayer on the day he was arrested. And we know this because many times in the Bible he says, my hour has not yet come, my hour has not yet come. But then the first verse of this one, he says, my hour has come. We'll see that in a moment. And so let this sink in for a minute. So many times if we think about what would be the last thing we would want to say with, with the last moments of our time on earth, and we would want it to be very meaningful, we want it to be very personal prayers. And Jesus prays this prayer. It's very meaningful. It's very personal. And it's the greatest prayer. It is no mere prayer. This one's going to rise above the rest. 
we're going to begin to see this great prayer for our Lord and Savior, what he prays for us. And with such an important prayer, one that he uses to prepare for his Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, it seems fitting that we would study it and know it as we prepare for our Holy Week ahead. And so we want to know a couple things. We want to know what was important to Jesus at this time, and we will see that. And we want to know also what specifically he desired the Father to do. And we'll get to see, we'll get to see that as well. And so with all these questions in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer and prepare our hearts. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just praise you today. We praise you for your love and how your glory in your name you loved us. And it's amazing that your glory includes calling people like us sinners to salvation. And we praise you for our great high priest, Jesus Christ, and this special prayer that you have allowed your people to see the intimacy between you and Jesus. God, we are in awe that you planned all this before the creation of the world. And Lord, just let the reading of your word today just glorify your name. Let us sanctify us and change us more to who you are. In your land we praise these things. Amen. So we're going to ask a question to get ready. So we're going to ask a question. This question, we're going to ask the same question at the beginning of the sermon. We're going to ask the same one at the end. And this is the mindset I'm, I'm going to try to go with. So, so work with me here. So as I was going through this prayer and what it means, there's like a mindset that I see as far as how people share the Lord with other people or how we received it as people. And it's sort of maybe it's an Americanized culture, sort of Americanized church kind of thing. We say these words all the time. And this is sort of how it goes. It's like, well, God loves you. And God loves you, and God loves you, and God loves me, and God has a wonderful plan for you. And we say that all the time. And sometimes when we share it, we say that same way. It's almost like we're trying to sell people on, well, this is what God can do for you. And I remember these songs as I remember them as a kid. I think we share them with some of our children. We said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the rest of the song, I can't remember the rest of it. But, but here's the thing. Here's the sort of how it sort of looks to us. We imagine that, that, that God loves me, and he sends Jesus, and he forgives me of my sins. And it's very me-oriented, isn't it? It's almost like God does things for me or a people or others. And all these things are true, and I'm not trying to sort of say those things aren't true, but, but let's just be honest with ourselves. And as we're going to learn in this in this John chapter 17, it sort of leaves us something out. There's a little context that's missing. And there's something else to be added to this, to this message of salvation that we're going to see today. And so John chapter 17, what we're going to see here is this shows how a sovereign Lord loves. It's different than the way people love. It's different. It's not the way many of, the, it's not the way many of us thought it should be or would be. And we'll see that God's love for his people doesn't really start with me, because that's the way human love starts. Instead, it starts with the Father's love for the Son. And then it's the Son's love for the Father. And then our salvation is really a gift, and it is love, but our salvation is a gift between the Father and the Son. That's what we're going to see here. And instead, if instead of starting with me, we start that this is really God's glory to save people, and the question I want to ask, and you can be answering it for yourselves, is does this change the way that we came to salvation? 
Does it change the way that we thought about salvation? And here's the other one. Does it change the way we share when we share faith with others? Does it change like, well, I don't really share it that way. And then the last thing, the last question I want you to answer for yourselves is, does it even change the way we live our lives as Christians? Does it change the way we would live our lives as people who follow Jesus Christ? And so this chapter, let me say this, this is a long chapter. We could preach it for months. I'm going to do it one Sunday. That's all we're going to do. So we're going to get the overarching theme of this. So we're going to start here in this prayer. We're going to see the first thing that Jesus prays is he prays for his glory. These first five verses, Jesus prays for his glory first. So let me read these together with us. Starting in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. And since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom, all whom you have given, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth. I accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, the first thing we're going to see here in these verses is Jesus prays. The Son's glory is the first thing we see of the Son's glory. This is Jesus' glory. So I'm going to read some of these verses again just so the point hits. It says, glorify your Son, that's Jesus, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. And so we see here, the first thing, well, what is Jesus' glory? That could mean a lot of things, but in this context, it means one simple thing. Jesus' glory is his death. It's his death. And his exaltation will be for the, the death that he, he dies for sinners. That's what we're going to see. And sometimes when we think, well, why would you pray? Why would Jesus pray for his glory first? That sounds sort of selfish. And that's how humans would look at it. But here is human glory. Human glory is different than, than eternal glory. So when I think about my glory, I think of things like, well, hey, look at me. I hit a home run. Look at my abilities. That's what people do. Look at my, hey, I graduated. Look at me. Look at my intelligence. And go buy me some stuff when I graduate, right? That's how we do it. I got this award, I got my job, I got my bank account, look at my accomplishments. That's how people look at glory. Look at my wedding, look at how beautiful I look on my wedding day. And that's, that's human glory, it's people glory. Look at me. But here is what the glory of Jesus looked like. It's different. He's arrested, innocently arrested, falsely accused. He's beaten, pounded flogged, bloodied, spit on, nails in both hands, one criminal on this side, another criminal on this side, the lowest of the low. And folks, when he's on the cross, I know we see the loincloth, but he was probably naked. It was a complete, complete shameful event. And this is the thing, his glory was that. And this plan of salvation had always been that the Son would be glorified while the redemption of sinners, always, that was his glory. And the moment of the most shame in the eyes of men would be his highest glory as the salvation plan is being realized. But we keep going. What, what else is it saying in those verses about his glory? This is Jesus. So we're going to intertwine verse 5 with verse 24. 
So I'm going to go ahead and read verse 24. It talks about, and it's talking about his glory, going to his glory in heaven too. So I'm going to read verse 24 on the screen. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. So we see here that Jesus, he had glory in heaven before he ever came down from heaven. And he condescends from that glory to come to, to, come to earth to redeem people like us. And he's going back to his glory and he's praying to the Father, return me to my glory I had with you before the world began. And here's the other part of this. So he's going to go back to his glory. That's where he's at, the seating at the right hand of the Father. But, but look at this. His glory is to return to his glory, and he wants to bring sinners that he's redeemed and show them that glory. We will see that glory one day. Make no mistake about it. That's the prayer of the Son. But the Son's also connected to another glory, and we're going to see the Father's glory. We see the Son's glory and the Father's glory interconnected in these first five verses. So watch this. I'm going to read some of these verses again. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. That's the Father. Since you have given me authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given me. I'm going to click on down to verse 4. I glorified you on earth. That's the Father's glory. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And we see here that, that that Jesus accomplishes his glory. And let me say this, when you say, well, what does it mean I have accomplished all that you had me to do? Well, what Jesus does is he, tr he shows who the true God is. He shows who the true Yahweh is. People didn't know it, but he reveals who God really is. And we see here a couple things. It's in the note right here. God the Father, his, what is his glory? So Jesus' glory was to die and be exalted on behalf of sinners. The Father's glory is... This is his plan of salvation for these chosen people. That's the Father's glory, is that the plan is realized, that it's done. And so I'm just going to repeat these things again just to make sure we're clear with them. The salvation plan of God was formed in eternity past before anything that ever was. Before we were created, it was the plan. And he knew these remnant of people or these chosen people were going to be saved before they were even born, and he knew they would rebel against him. And the salvation take plan would take place in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the Son's glory. We're going to repeat that. That's the Son's glory. And Jesus is glorified by dying on behalf of people like us. But even more so, these sinners, these people that are, that are saved, these chosen people, there's no worthiness in them as we're going to see. There's no worthiness in them. And they don't even have the wisdom to pick him and to choose him. They don't have the wisdom. They don't have any worthiness in them. But because the Father draws them out to give them to the Son, that's his glory. That's his glory, this plan of salvation. That's what we're going to see here. And so let me say this. Let's just make sure we're aware of it. God's love starts with the Son, the, the, the love of the Son for the Father, and the love of the Father for the Son. And nowhere in it does God's love and salvation start with people. It doesn't start with us, according to these verses. We are not the center of God's, of Jesus' heart. The Father is. And that's why this happens. And God's glory is the foundation of it all. Right? He is the center and foundation of all of it. And get this. And the last thing we'll say here, we'll move on. In, in eternity, we'll get there and be like in heaven and be thankful that I'm not in hell. And I will be thankful 
and so will you. But we're going to go, we're going to be in eternity to see the glory of Jesus before any of this was ever done. I can't put words to it, but that's what we're going to see. And Jesus prays this all. And as we're going to see further, he's going to pray this even today. It's not something he prayed one time. He's still praying it today. So as we, as we transition from Jesus, the first five verses, he's praying for his glory. Now he's going to work to pray for the disciples. So remember, this is being said to the disciples. Let's go ahead and read this. Starting in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you have gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me they are yours all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them and I am no longer in the world but they are in the world I am coming to you holy father keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one verse 12 while I was with them I kept them in your name which you have given me I have guarded them And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you that these things I speak in the world that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world and sanctify them in the truth that is the word is truth. You sent me into the world so I have sent them into the world and for their sake I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. So let's break this down. This is a lot. So the first thing we're going to see here is Jesus is praying for his disciples but he starts with Jesus prays for whom the Father has given the Son. He's going to identify them is going to define what's the, what that means. So look at me again in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So Jesus starts with, I manifested, or that's another way to say, I revealed the name of God to his people. Jesus reveals the name of God. And here's something for us to understand. Only Jesus can reveal God to people that can't understand it on their own. And Jesus is going identi- to identify God's identity, God's nature, and God's plan, and he will reveal it all. But keep on going. Watch this. I'm going to reread this verse again, but it's, a, it's, a, it's the same verse, but watch the, the different pieces of it flow out. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And so what we see, we're further defining these people. They are a gift. They are a gift. These called out people are a gift. And they're pulled out of the world, and we're going to elaborate on what this world looks like. But this this world that we're going to see, they were pulled out of this world, and this world is evil and dark and Satan-led. That's why he pulls them out of it. Keep going. So 
flip on down to verse 9. Now watch this. This was a weird one for me, but this was a good one. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. Let me say that again because I was a little bit surprised to see this in studying for this. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So God has a common love for the world. I'm not going to deny that. But it's a special love for his chosen people. This says it no better than, than, than anything you can see. And Jesus calls attention to these chosen people that are going to be pulled out. And get this, he's glorified in them. So how is, how, is, how is Jesus glorified in them? And here's how it is. These people that are going to be pulled out of the world, they were lovers of evil first. And they're going to be transformed into worshipers of God. And Jesus finds glory in that. Jesus finds glory in changing people from who they were into what they're going to be. And so as, as, we, as we do through this, Jesus is done and be done praying for the disciples in this way. But now we're going to see this scripture change a little bit. He's going to be talking about, I'm going to be leaving the world. So Jesus is going to be leaving the world. He's going to be ascending to the heaven. And he's going to pray on behalf of these disciples. And they're going to need certain things. And he's going to pray for those needs. And remember, these, aren't just, these are just ordinary men. Not the most intellectual, not the most uh, successful but he's going to pray for them to the Father to give them their needs. And so what we're going to see here is Jesus prays to keep his disciples. That's the second note. Jesus prays to keep his disciples. Look at me in verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be filled, fulfilled. Excuse me. And so there's a couple words going on here. Keep in your name, which I've highlighted, and guarded them. And so those Greek words are terero, but, but look at the, the context of it. It's to cause to continue. And this guarded them is philoso, which is to keep under guard. And when you think about those words and you see them in the context, this isn't a one-time keeping. It's a continual keeping. It's something to continue to keep these disciples, keep them from falling away. And so, so let that sink in for us. They're chosen by God and they're kept, they're kept faithful by, by God. And so you would first say, well, what about Judas? Wasn't he one of the 12? Looks like he certainly got lost. Looks like he certainly walks away from his faith. But watch this. You see this in the verses above. He, he points them out, sons of destruction. Except for the son of destruction, some of your Bibles will say the son of perdition. Well, what about him? And we see here that Jesus knew all along that this was going to happen. He wasn't lost because guess what? Judas was never given by the father to the son. So Jesus never lost anything. Look ahead in John chapter 6. This happened well before John chapter 17. Jesus answers them, I did, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For one of the twelve, he was going to betray him. So he knew this all along. But, but watch this. But what, what would you argue? Let's contrast this with one of the other disciples. 
Simon Peter, he's one of the ones who forsake Jesus by name. And guess what? All the other ones forsake him too, by the way, because they were all running and hiding. Okay? But watch this in Luke 22. And pay special attention. Remember, Jesus prays to keep them. Watch what he prays here in Luke 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that you that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again or repent, strengthen your brothers. Saints, that's a, that's a powerful thing we need to understand. If we ever thought we could choose God, we would have to be reasonable enough. At least some of us would be dumb enough to lose God, right? That would be just the logic of life, right? If we thought we'd choose it, some of us would have to lose it. And some of the scriptures wouldn't be right. But, but here's what we know. Here's the truth. We can't choose it, and we can't lose it because we are all in God's power, it is all God's power, and it is not our own power. And our Savior prays it that way. Our Savior prays for us. So hold on to this evil one concept. Watch this. Jesus is going pray to pray for his disciples to keep them. But watch this in verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world hated them. Because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. And I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So watch this. How does Jesus start with this verse? He starts with what? Give them your word. He starts with the word because what does the word of God do? It does a lot of things, but here's one thing it certainly does. It displays every man's rebellion and sin. Doesn't it not? It reveals all of our sin, all of our rebellion. And, and here, is li- here is man, here is natural man. We desire to do our own will, even if that means we remain in darkness. I can relate to that. When I was in my own will, I just wanted to do my own darkness. I didn't want light shed on my stuff. But he starts with the word, and watch this. starts with the world, and the world has hated them. And let me talk about the world for a second. You know, everybody loves forgiveness and mercy and love as defined by ourselves, right? Even the world loves that stuff. But the world absolutely hates righteousness. It hates the judgment of unrighteous behavior. The world just hates it. And if we haven't seen it no more this week, what happened in Nashville shows us the hatred of the world for God. The hatred of the world against righteousness and that's what the world is. And the world hates, and we see this, and Jesus is leaving, and so he's going to be leaving, but he can't take the disciples with him. But he's not, that's not part of the plan. And so Jesus, Jesus prays them to keep them from the evil one, to keep them from the evil one. And so, so Satan is what is behind all this resistance and undermining and this hatred and trying to pull back from the faith. It's all behind him. And Jesus prays, keep them from the evil one. And so after we see this, we see that we're not only given by God, and Jesus prays us to be kept, but here's the other truth. Jesus prays to sanctify his disciples. So look at me in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
And this word, this word sanctify, it is hagazio in the, in the text. And it means to purify and to cleanse and to make holy. And Jesus prays not just for them to be saved and not for them just to be kept, but for them to be sanctified. And he's almost saying, God, make them good. Sanctify them. Folks, God doesn't just save us and he doesn't just keep us. He wants to and will change us. That's just a part of it. And how is he going to sanctify them? Is he going to try to make them smarter? Is he going to try to make them successful? It doesn't mention that anywhere in the text. Instead, it says, by the word of God. The word of God changes us. And that's why anybody we hear that speaks a word that is not from the word of God, but speaks it in the name of God is wrong. We always need to be connected to the word of God. And so as we think about how dependent the, that the disciples were, they had to be given. They couldn't even choose, and they had to be kept, and they had to be sanctified, none of which could, they could do on their own. So I was thinking about, there's, a, there's an infamous political statement that was in one of our presidential campaigns couple, maybe it was 10, 15 years ago, I can't remember. And this is the comment that was made. If you've got a business, you didn't build that. And a lot of people took different sides of that, that comment that came from that president, the presidential campaign, excuse me. In one role, in the government, obviously, we have Democrats and Republicans. But one side of this looks at this says, well, listen, there's a valid role in government. It creates an atmosphere for business to do its business and commerce to take place in the marketplace. We build roads and bridges so that we can go back and forth to businesses. We have rules to allow fairness for us, to, for these businesses to run. And then the other side of it looks at the role of government with taxation and legislation, which is crushing the entrepreneurial heart. And we see that, and let me say this, no matter what part of the political spectrum that we take, we just need to understand those are all opinions and feelings, but when it comes to God's word, we need to be led by God's word, not our feelings and not our opinions on it. That's not how it needs to go. And here's what we've seen thus far. God's word tells us that he is the author of every man's salvation, and he keeps them that way, and he changes them for his ways. And none of us are able to build our own salvation per se. It is God's and God's alone. And so this prayer that we see shows us not just God's love for, her, for his people, but how utterly dependent they are on him for everything. These disciples would have to be chosen by God. They would have to be kept from falling, back, falling away. And they needed the word. They needed truth to make them good. And Jesus prays it all, prays every bit of it for them. And we see also that the world was always against them, trying to pull them back into all this. And Jesus prays for them to be pulled apart and remain apart from this world while still being in it. And here's why. It's because they would start the New Testament church to come. And they would be the ones, through God, to call the next set of believers, and then the next set of believers, and so on and so forth. And that's why he prays it that way. And let me say this, this next part and this final part, which we'll get to, this prayer is not just for the disciples, but it's for believers like us as well. It connects us to it. And as a result of this, let me say this, a lot of us need to give a lot more credit and glory for our lives, our salvation, our keptness, and even the goodness that we have in here. So many people in here are so good. And God bless that. 
but we need to give him a lot more credit and glory than we ever have. This word tells me that my, even my goodness isn't really from me, it's from him. The ability to have love, commitment to my family, friends, anything I do is from him. It's not really from me. So let's read this next transition as we go here, this final part. Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for us too. Starting as verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, I in you. That they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So we see a couple things coming in this. The verse, verse 20, this is why we can claim that same prayer the disciples prayed. It says, I do not ask for these only, but for also those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus prays the same needs for us. The same needs for the disciples, we have the same needs. We're in the same boat. But watch this, you see this common theme. And it's really, you see this in a couple of verses. We're not going to read them all, but it says, they all may be one. Verse 21, verse 22, even as we are one, verse 23, they may also become perfectly one. So you see this theme, it's around unity. And this is, unity isn't about us getting along, like, oh, let's not be fussing and carrying on. That's not, I mean, even though we don't need to be doing that stuff, right? But this unity is around a purpose. It's around a person pursuing purpose. And our unity is around Jesus Christ pursuing the purpose that he gave us. And so if we want to illustrate it real easily, here it is. You see at the very bottom of this, verse 25 and 28, I'm going to read verse 25. O righteous Father, even though through the world draws, excuse me, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and that these know that you have sent me. Verse 8, for I have given them your words that you gave me. That they have received them and they have come to know in truth that I came from you and that they believed you sent me. And so here it is, just to repeat these things, but it's always good. The Father loved the Son and he gave these people as a gift. And the Son loves the Father and he dies to redeem these people. And here's where we go. The Spirit applies them to these people and it sanctifies and secures them. And so in conclusion, I, I want to ask the same question that we started this sermon with. I want to ask it in a little bit different way. What do you think people would say it means to be a believer, to be a follower? What would you say? And does God's salvation primarily really come from his love for you or for me or for us? And here's the question I ask, whether it's about Poplar Springs or churches in general. And does the church tend to make God's salvation about what it can do for people. Is that how it's preached? 
Which comes first, what people's needs are or what God's glory is? And so when I think about how I hear these questions answered, sometimes I answer them this way too, is it goes something like this. It's like, well, I believe that Jesus died on a cross and he forgave my sin. And I, 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 I believe and I ask Jesus into my heart and, and I'm going to heaven and I'm not going to hell and I, and I join the church and I get baptized and maybe I have some bad habits and maybe I don't do them as much. Or maybe I just do them in private. I don't do them in public because it looks good. And none of those things I just said are bad. I'm not against any of those things. But, but here's the thing. None of those things necessarily mean you were saved. That's not what saves you. And these are the answers that many of us give to this answer, this question about what does my salvation look like, and that's how we answer it. But, but here's how this prayer would answer this, this answer, this question about what does my salvation look like. And here it is. The Father gave me to the Son, and the Son dies to redeem evil, rebellious people like me. And the Spirit of God opens my eyes to my lostness. He opened my eyes to my lostness, and I can look to Him for forgiveness, Jesus Christ on the cross, and that's my sin. And not only am I saved, but I'm sanctified. I'm changed for him according to God's decree. And my devotion and reliance is to God. It's not to my sin that I used to hold on to. It's not what it is. And, and, and here it is. And the glory of God can take a person like me and change my heart and mind to him. That's a different answer than what we answered the first time. And this prayer presents a God-centered salvation. It's not man-centered. Our salvation isn't centered on us. It is centered on God. And this church, our church, needs to present it in such a way. Because, you know what, when we reduce the gospel to this answer is, well, God loved me and he has a good plan for me. That, that misses the point of the gospel. It misses it. And let this word ring true that, that God has a, pl a plan of salvation for us, and it is to glorify his name through his people that he's chosen through the world, and he gives us to the Son, and the Son is glorified and dying on the cross for us, and that we are forever changed into the image of God to be his people, and that's an incredible love that we get to partake in. And guess what? I'm going to live that out because that's what God has done for me, not what God not what God can get out of God. That is not what salvation is. So let's go to the Father in prayer as we wrap up this prayer and put it to our lives. Father God, we just thank you for this prayer in John chapter 17. I thank you for it. You gave it to us in your word, and it was a gift to us. And Lord, I just praise you for that. And it blows our minds that your plans would include fallen people like us to change to change us, Lord. And Lord, it, your son prays it for us even today, this love to keep us and save us. And Lord, we just pray that our hearts would be made more towards you to sanctify us to your calling, to see how worthy it is to be your people and to share your word and to share our lives together. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for all these things we give in your name. Amen. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you.